worshipins that we launch, those are all available online, especially on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, all that stuff uh, is available for you. I have loved each week also seeing our church family post pictures of you gathering together, singing together, uh, looking at the Word of God together in your homes. Uh, it's, it's, it's encouraging in a season that it, in many ways, is discouraging. We rejoice that many of you are checking in and that many of you are worshiping. I know many of you are with us live right now, uh, and then many of you are listening to this later, and, and that's okay too. Uh, but again, we are looking forward to having you back with us. And if you are looking to uh, continue to support us, first of all, let me just tell you, thank you for supporting us. We have uh, been able to be at budget and above budget in the last uh, couple months during this crisis, and that is really incredible. It allows us not only to continue uh, to pay our staff, but to serve the community and to help those in need. And some of those requests are starting to come in, uh, and we are reaching out. In fact, uh, one of the things that we're doing right now that's really incredible is we support a ministry and pray for a ministry called Scarlet Hope in Reno. Uh, And it's a ministry that actually ministers to uh, the ladies in the strip clubs and to give them the gospel and to give them support and to love them and to pray over them. And we have many ladies that that go into that... uh, that arena, and share the gospel with these gals. And we recently are putting together, just right now, this week, some gift baskets for Mother's, Days, uh, for Mother's Day for uh, these ladies, and we're giving each of them a $100 gift card, uh, and, and we're trying to just let them know that Jesus loves them, and he wants to pull them out of the darkness. So your generosity allows us to continue to do those things. We just want to say uh, thank you for it. <clears throat> and then let me give you an update on kind of where we're at. The elders and the pastoral team have just been laboring over uh, when can we get back together and when and how and what does that look like. One of the things that we're doing right now is we are already preparing the facility for your return. So uh, we've purchased some automatic dispensers for hand sanitizer, and we've been going through protocol for keeping the building clean, even purchasing some PPE for those who may need it, uh, and all of that. And so we've kind of got a three-phase plan. Uh, Phase one would be uh, that, that we would encourage you to start getting together in groups at home uh, and smaller groups at home and watch the sermon together, to interact with each other, to be with one another. Uh, phase two would be limited building use. We don't know exactly when that will be, meaning uh, we're brainstorming around outdoor service or uh, spreading people around in the building or the buildings. And then phase three would be for us to hopefully gather together as normal. Now, I just want to share something with you, and, and I think I'm putting a video out this week. Uh, Sarah, who, who films and does a lot of that stuff for social media, I think is launching it this week. But I want you to know, this is not easy. So <clears throat> I know many of you want to be here, and I know many of you are frustrated that you're not here, and I understand that, and I'm frustrated as well, frustrated with all of it. Uh, however, and get this, this is, again, another praise, but it is a difficulty in which we have to wrestle through. We literally, in the entire Tahoe Basin, uh, we probably have the largest gatherings at the lake as a whole. And, and with that being said, one of the reasons we've been successful in Truckee, California, is because, one, we do preach the Word of God. Two, we do emphasize the gospel. But three, we have a trust in this community that has been built here long before I ever showed up. And we want to maintain that trust in our community so that we can reach people who don't know Jesus. We don't want to mar that name. Uh, and to a degree, what you're doing right now is you're sacrificing your ability to get together to show the community of Truckee and those who are fearful 
that we love them and that we care about their health, we care about our hospital system, and we care about our leaders. Now, with that said, if it becomes clear that we just need to do what we need to do, we will pull that trigger. We are not fearful. We are not afraid. We believe in Jesus, and we love our community. And so I just want to thank you for continuing to gather at home and being as safe as possible in the midst of frustration. And as I've said before, uh, don't get your eyes on the politicians. Don't get your eyes on the numbers of the coronavirus. Don't get your eyes on, on all of these things that can detract you from Jesus. Stay focused on the gospel. Stay focused on the things of God. Love your family well. Love your kids. Love your grandkids. And let's get through this hopefully sooner than later. And if you would, just put an amen on your little feed there and let everyone know uh, you're, you're dialed in and you're working on it. So with that said, we're in Exodus chapter 6. Uh, the title this morning is Broken Spirit, God's Response to Bricks Without Straw. Remember now, Moses was saved miraculously. He ends up leaving Egypt gets married, sees the burning bush that is not consumed with the fire, hears from God that he's got to go back to Egypt, tell Pharaoh to free his people. He does. And when he speaks to Pharaoh and says, let God's people go, even though God told Moses it was going to be hard and that Pharaoh would not listen, even though that occurred, uh, Pharaoh doesn't listen, and he ends up making the work and the labor of the Hebrews even more difficult uh, than it was before. The, he tells them, you've got to go gather your own straw for the bricks to make the buildings. And this, in this story now here where we're at, God responds to the brokenness of the people and the frustration with the people. If you're dealing with dis- disappointment or discouragement, last week's message is for you, and you should make sure that you dive in uh, on YouTube and, and listen to that. But this morning, I want to talk a little bit about God's response to a broken spirit. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever had your spirit broken? Have you ever felt like the world is upon you? And have you ever been in a puddle of tears in disappointment and brokenness and frustration? Uh, I know it's silly. It is silly. Uh, I'm going to tell you it is. But uh, when my wife and I, some of you heard uh, the testimony that we, we put out. But when my wife and I were, were dating for a period of time, she dumped me. There's no better way to put it. She dumped me. And I know my kids are listening right now, and, and I've got a, a running joke with my kids that, that all I did was flex my muscles, and Allie wanted to marry me. That's, that's the joke. That's the running joke at dinner time. And my kids uh, ask me to uh, tell that story and then to flex my pecs like Terry Crews. If you don't know who Terry Crews is, uh, I apologize, <laughs> but, uh, and so my kids are like, that's the story, and my wife is like, that's not the story, and, and I have convinced my kids it is the story, and I know they're at home right now listening to the message, and they're coloring in their coloring books, and now they are disappointed. I'm sorry, guys, I've been lying to you. Uh, I, I did not get your mom by flexing my muscles. Um, I begged her, basically, to marry me, and then she, she broke up with me, and I was broken, man. I, man, I, when you're in love as a guy and a woman like breaks up with you, they're, they're, that is a way to get a guy to come to Jesus. And, uh, and that was a, a kind of come to Jesus moment. I was in a puddle of tears. I was crying. I was calling out to God. And God did respond and he did speak to me. I'm going to share, I'm going to uh, you know, spare you the details, but God did speak to me. Have you ever had that moment? Have you ever been just 
broken. And, and here we're going to see God responds to that. So uh, if you would this morning, if you're at home, let us rise, let us stand, let us still try to maintain some normalcy uh, as we read from Exodus chapter 6. <clears throat> and the Lord, now remember here, if you look at verse 22, uh, Moses is frustrated. And so what he says to God is he, he says to God, why have you done evil to this people? Moses blames God and he's frustrated. He's, you haven't delivered the people at all. And so then as God says this, but the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. With a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I'll give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them charge about the people of Israel and about the about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Lord, be in our homes, be in our midst. Let us remember we are gathered as a church, for we are the church. You do not dwell within a building made by human hands. Rather, Lord, you, you dwell within human hearts. We are still gathered together as the church, and we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I just want you to see that, that in this book, even though there is hardship and difficulty, there's great grace. I mean, imagine now, Moses has forgotten. That was one of the points last week, that, that it's easy for us to forget. And if we're going to get through discouragement and, and disappointment, we have to remember that God is good. And so you have to look in your life for these evidences of grace, I think it's amazing that, that Moses is not consumed. He wasn't consumed with the bush, the fire of the bush. He's not consumed by God here, even though he's blaming God for the evil that is happening. When you're in a broken spirit, when, you are, when you're down and you're bummed and you're having a hard time, you've got to look for evidences of grace. That is to say, the things that, that God gives us that, that we don't deserve. Now, I want you to understand one thing that is good, at least, about Moses here, is that in his his own broken spirit, in his own frustration, he does what we all should do. He, he goes to God, and he has a conversation with God. And he talks to God about his disappointment. Now, now he, he may, well, he is, he's, he's wrong in how he's speaking to God, but he at least has run to God. 
Now, I want you to understand something about what the Bible teaches us about running to God. It, it tells us that we, in difficulty, in a coronavirus season, in depression, in anger, in sin, we have a refuge that we all run to. All of us run to something to find covering or to hide. All of us. In fact, uh, one of, I think it's one of the Proverbs says that, that the, the, the righteous run into the tower of the Lord, something along those lines, and the rich man's wall is his false security. Basically, what the proverb says is that, that for those of us who are righteous, when we are struggling, we, we run into the house of God. We run into the name of God, into Jesus, to hide ourselves and to blanket ourselves. And then the, the proverb contrasts that with the rich man who says, says, well, surely my savings account will save me. My 401k will save me. And what the Bible says is that it's a false security. Now, when you're disappointed, and in a season like this, we all will, will find ourselves running to something to try to fix it. What is that for you in this season? Uh, what is it that you use to distract yourself? What is it that, you, that you're doing to, to kind of remove the emotional side of this, the difficulty of it? Some of us are running to just way too much news. Some of us are watching way too much TV. Some of us may be playing way too many video games. Some of us may be doing all kinds of different things that, that instead of running into the righteousness of God, as Moses is running into God in this moment, we run to other things. And you have to see that God responds to us when we run to him. He's going to speak to us. And the Lord said in verse 6, six uh, I'm sorry, in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, but the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do. And I want you to see something here. God is introducing himself again to the people of Israel. God's whole response in chapter 6 is finally letting his people know who he is. I, I, I have in my Bible, uh, because I like to mark it up as much as I can, uh, I have in my Bible, I have circled every time I see the letter I, and I think it's 15 times, I, 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 I am speaking off the top of my head from when I counted earlier this week, but I think it's at least 15 times where God says, I. I've done this. I'm the Lord. And he uses his name Yahweh. And he even contrasts and says, historically, historically, I, I did know Abraham and I did know Jacob and, and Isaac, but I didn't uh, totally introduce myself to them the way that I'm introducing myself to the people of Israel now. He is making himself known that he is sovereign, that he is in control, that he is God, he is to be worshiped. He is the redeemer. He is the savior. He is letting Moses know and he's letting the people of Israel know in the midst of their disappointment, discouragement, and broken spirit, that he is the almighty God. One pastor says this about God, and because and, this, is, this, this is a passage that tells us of the character of God. Okay, God is not just uh, transcendent, he's also imminent, meaning that, that, yes, he's bigger than us, he's mightier than us, there's things about God we don't understand, but he's imminent in the, in the sense that he is here and he is now, and he's telling us who he is. And he's giving us the picture that we can know him. And one pastor says it like this in, in the idea of the character of God that he is sovereign. He says, many believers believe in God's sovereignty theologically. Listen carefully, okay? Many of us believe in God's sovereignty theologically. He, he's just saying, we say that we know that God is in control. But practically, they are emotional train wrecks. You hear that? Many believers 
say they believe that God who is loving and he is kind and he is beautiful in the midst of my broken spirit, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of whatever the governor is telling us what we can and can't do, in the midst of all of these different things. Yeah, 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 God's in control, but practically we're an emotional train wreck, he says. And then he moves on and he says, they, us, we, you have not worked the truth of the integrity, the character of God, his sovereignty into our hearts. I was talking to, uh, oh gosh, who was it? I can't remember, someone this week about how we usually pray for that person that we love and we pray for their salvation. We don't pray, we usually don't pray, hey God, would you, would you just allow them to, to finally come to you? We usually pray, God, save that person. God, do something in that person's life. God, move upon them. When we pray for someone's salvation, we're not praying for, for a happenstance or, or, or an accident. We're praying that God would do something. And here we see God's sovereignty enters into humanity here, just as he did on the cross and just as he did as a baby boy being perfectly born to a virgin, he works himself into the story of humanity to save them. Let me just ask you again the question, do you, do you really know that God is in control? And, and if so, are you responding in the midst of your tragedy, whatever that tragedy is, that, that, that you're secure and you're not frustrated and, and, you're, and you're not allowing your emotions to dictate what you say and what you do, because you are at least running to God imperfectly as Moses has. See, we have to see the problem for what it is. So what is ultimately Israel's problem? Well, Israel has the virus. Israel is sick. They are full of Egypt. Okay, They don't have the coronavirus. They have the virus of sin. They are full of Egypt. And, and what has happened in this moment, that their cup has been rattled, that their life has been rattled, it reveals. It's revealing to us and revealing to themselves, revealing to Moses, uh, revealing to God what's in their heart. There's this analogy. You've, you've heard it before, I'm sure. And uh, I've used it on several occasions. And so have others that, that uh, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control your response. And the illustration that was used when I was in San Diego that I remember as a, a young, young boy, young Christian learning these things, he said, he said, let's say you have a cup and inside that cup is water. And if someone comes up and shakes that cup, water will come out of that cup. No matter how much you shake it, it won't be Diet Coke, it won't be coffee, it'll always be water. And sh the shaking of the cup reveals what's inside the cup. And then likewise, he said, it's the same within our hearts, that, that, that when your life is shaken, when circumstances get you and they get hold of you, when Pharaoh says, oh, when the coronavirus goes, oh, and, and all of a sudden what spews out of you, that, that reveals what's in you. And that has to be dealt with. Because when your cup is shaken, what, what comes out of your heart, you're not responsible you're not responsible for the situation. You're not responsible for the virus. You're not responsible for your, your retirement fund deteriorating. You're, you're not responsible for those things, but you are responsible for every drop that comes out of you. Everything that comes out of your mouth, everything that comes out of your actions. For, for Matthew, uh, he says it like this. Actually, it was Jesus who spoke in Matthew. He says in chapter 12, verse 34, out of, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So one way to know, you know what's inside of you is just what comes out of your mouth. Is it hatred? 
Is it violence? Is it anger? That's in your heart. And, and it says, it says, he's what he's saying, what the Bible basically says is what's in the heart. That's the sickness. That's the real virus. That's the real deterioration of man's condition. In fact, Proverbs says it like this, keep, keep your heart with vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Inside of your heart is your life. And ultimately, ultimately, the, the reason that Israel struggled, the reason that they're disappointed and they're discouraged, the reason they're frustrated, the reason they're not listening to Moses, and the reason, by the way, they're not listening to God, the reason that they are in a broken spirit, the reason that they are frustrated is because they don't know God. So is it possible that if you're having a negative reaction in this season, it's because you've either forgotten who God is or you've never really been introduced to him? And by the way, I know that many of you right now who have never stepped into this building are listening to the good word of God. And can I just encourage you in two ways? One, God wants you to know him. He already knows you and he loves you, and he wants you to surrender your old life of frustration and sin and sickness and enter into a new life, into a new promised land, if you will, a new place where you're in a right, a correct, a beautiful, a reconciled relationship with God. Can I also encourage those of you who are part of our church that this is a season where you have an opportunity to become more intimate with your Savior who loves you. The reason they're sick is because they don't know God. In fact, the whole, the whole theme of Exodus, the whole theme isn't just, isn't just getting out of Egypt. It isn't just getting out of slavery. It's, it's getting to know God. That's, that's really the whole theme of the book of Exodus is, is God is trying to say, I want you to know me. He's introducing himself to his people again, and the way in which he's introducing his goodness to his people is to free them from their slavery. And so what does God do in response to Moses running to him, in response to his frustration? Moses, Moses keeps repeating, I'm sorry, not Moses, God keeps repeating himself to Moses. I am, I am, I am, I am. I am the I am. I'm Yahweh, I'm the Lord. He has to keep repeating himself. It's like my wife, she, she says, she has to tell me, uh, well, we've been married for 16 years and, and, and I, I like to tickle my kids and I like to tickle my wife and uh, she reminds me, don't tickle me. She doesn't like to be tickled. Uh, and, and the kids try to tickle her and she doesn't like it. And she has to keep repeating it. It's been 16 years, I still haven't learned my lesson. And it's the same kind of thing. You, you, your spouse or your kids, they got to keep telling you the same thing over and over again. You tell your kids the same thing over and over again. I coached high, uh, high school football for a little bit, and, and one of the greatest frustrations in coaching football, or probably any sport for that matter, is I would just get tired of repeating myself. And football, I say, you got to get low. You got to get low. Sure enough, some kid stands up high, gets his block knocked off, and, and you got to tell him again, get low, get low. Get low, get low, get low, get low. Week, week 15, get low. Week, you know, just continuous reminder. And this is what God's doing. And it is evidence of God's grace. And so what, is, what does God say to the broken spirit of the people? First of all, I want you to notice something about Moses, okay? Moses is in the moment. He's in the moment. So he's frustrated right now. In this moment, in the text, he's stuck and he's focused in the present. 
Moses has essentially done this with God. He, he has said, what about my inabilities? What about these people? They're not listening. What about the abuse? What about the slavery? What about Pharaoh? He's stuck on all of the things. What, what about you? What, are you like that? What about the stores not opening? What about my job? What about going to the beach? What about, what about the moment? What about the moment? What does God do? God introduces Moses not just to the present, but he, he actually starts to speak to Moses about the past, about the present itself, and the future. What God does is he shares his entire story. See, you're stuck in this myopic moment, and God is trying to pull Moses in this text outside of that myopic moment into the big story, into the history and the future of God's goodness. So, so what does he say? He says, okay, Moses, I want you to understand the big plan here. I was involved in Abraham's life. I saved Abraham. I saved Isaac. I saved Jacob. Moses, just look in the history past, and you're going to see that I am a good God that frees people continuously, that calls people out of the darkness, out of difficulty. And not only that, Moses, I, I'm involved right now. I told you this was going to be difficult. And by the way, I'm going to take you to a new place and a new promised land. In our frustration, we have to see that God, as he has made a covenant with the people of Israel here, and he mentions that word covenant, which is to keep his promises in relationship with his people, in verse 4, that God remembers his covenant forever. This is just to say that God makes promises, and when he makes his promises, he keeps them. And he's letting Moses know that he's done that in the past, he's going to do it now, and he's going to do it in the future. And you have what is in this text called the eye wells of salvation. And it's God not just introducing himself, but making promises not just to the Hebrew people, but also connecting us to the promises of Jesus, that we have the same salvation spiritually and not just physically. Well, what are they? Well, first of all, look at verse five. He says, I've heard. I, again, I am God. I have heard. I hear you crying. I hear your depression. I hear your broken spirit. I'm in tune with it. I, I know you're struggling. I know this is hard. I know it's difficult. And I hear you. It, this, this is a call for us to understand that we need to continually be praying. God hears you. I hear you, he says. That's what he's saying. I hear your cries. If you're struggling right now, at home with your kids, would you call out to God? You can do it in front of them. You can do it right now. You can do it on Facebook Live. You can do it on YouTube. You can just shout out right now. You can just call out God, hear me. God, I'm frustrated. You can send our, your prayer request to us. We'll pray for you. But you need to, again, run to the refuge, run to the house of the Lord. He says, I, I hear you. I know you're struggling. I know you're brokenhearted. And I have dealt with my fair share of brokenness in my life. And I can tell you that God has always been present. And you will look back at the difficulty. You will look back at the season at some point and we'll be like, man, God was present. The key is to see that now rather than later. He says, I have heard you. Verse 6, I'll bring you out, he says. I'm going to bring you out of slavery. And why? We've got the kind of slogan for the series. It says he will bring us out so that he can bring us in. But he says, I'm going to bring you out away from your burden. That's what he's saying. I'm going to release you of the burden. When Jesus tells us to come to him because his, his yoke, his weightiness is light and it's easy and it's filled with peace. I want to bring you out, he says. I don't want you to be in this slavery anymore. 
God did that for me when I moved to San Diego. It's it like I needed this season of getting pulled out of Truckee and out of Reno and into a new place where I could finally sit and learn of God. He wants to bring us out. Verse 6, again, I will deliver you. Galatians actually says, this, it says it this way, that he gave himself, God gave himself, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Okay, can I? I'm not much of a, you know, one of those doomsayer prophet guys, but listen to what Galatians just said there. Listen to what God said in verse 6, I want to deliver you. And, and, then, and then what it says in Galatians about deliverance from the present evil age, I'm going to deliver you from the present evil age. You know, the reason that evil age, that, that word evil age is interesting is because the Bible actually speaks that there's a system. There's a system behind the systems. I'm not talking about shadow government. I'm talking about behind the scenes, there is a spiritual battle, a cosmic battle of good and evil, and that this age that we live in, behind the scenes, there are demonic, oppressive forces that are at work to distract and to take us down. It's It's true. So if you are looking at, you know, the stuff that you see on social media, it's so evil. Yeah, it is. But the good news is, is that God will deliver us from that. So, so the key when you're walking spiritually, when you're scrolling through your social media or through the news, you have discernment to not just buy into all the junk, but to realize that the big game plan, the, the game plan behind the game plan is for the devil to keep people from knowing God. But what God says is, listen, I've already done what's necessary. I've crushed the head of the serpent. I've killed Satan. I've shoved him off to the side on the cross. And, and I can break through the distraction so that you can know me and not walk in frustration. And he goes on. He says, not only will I deliver you, verse 6, I will redeem you. That is to purchase us out of slavery, to buy back. Those of you might remember Boaz and Ruth. This is what Boaz does for Ruth, he, he purchases her. He becomes the family redeemer. And likewise, God, Jesus, becomes our family redeemer. He buys us back with his blood. Galatians 4, again, says this. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoptions as sons. This is him saying, this is God saying, I want to make you family. And what I see when I see all of you dive in on, online, when I'm able to kind of interact with you a little bit with, before the service, you're saying hello to each other. You're saying hi because, because you're not just friends. You're family. We're family. We're in this together. We're family. And God brings us into the family of God. And those of you who are checking out our services and you're wondering about God, one of the beautiful things about salvation, if you're tuning in and you're listening, is that God wants it to be part of a tremendous family. Is it, a, is it a weird family? Yes. It's so very weird. I mean, let's be honest. God, God has a way of bringing people who would never be friends into the same family. It's, we, are the, we are adopted by God. We become true family, and we are, we are a special family. I mean, very unique. And God has a way of bringing people together that would never hang out if it wasn't for God. I mean, those who have tattoos, those who don't, those who are rich, those who are poor, those who are uh, of ethnic diversity, those who like sports, those who like to read a lot, those who are just totally out there. And, and here's the deal. If, if, you, if you don't know someone special in church, it's because you're probably the special one. Let's be honest. 
And God has a way of bringing us into to becoming family. He, he says that basically in verse 7. I'm going to make you family. And he says it like this. He says it like this in Romans 8, 15. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Did you hear that? When you become a family, when you become a family of God, when you become part of God's family, he says, part of your inheritance is you don't receive slavery and fear but you receive the spirit of adoption where we cry, Abba, Father. We don't, we're not fearful because we're part of God's family. And if he's for us, no one can be against us. We have absolutely nothing to fear in this season, nothing at all, because even death itself, to die is to be present with God. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear famine. We don't have to fear disease. We don't have to fear if there's going to be a meat shortage, even though, if I'm honest, it's kind of scaring me a little bit. We don't have to fear those things because, because here's the deal, and even for me, as I mentioned the stupid thing about meat, when I go to heaven, God is preparing the best family Thanksgiving feast you have ever seen. I can't wait for it. In fact, I'm longing for it. it people are saying, this, these are the end times, man. The rapture's coming. Bring it on, I say. Let's go home. I don't want to live for this broken world. But if I'm in this world, as Paul says, and as Moses is in this world, and as the Hebrews are in this world, we have a part to play. And it's not to fall into the fear of the world, but to share the goodness of God with our community. To show them that we're not scared, we're not worried, but we stand on the solid ground of the gospel of Jesus Christ because he's gracious to us, and, and we know him. Israel doesn't know him yet, but we do. We know Jesus. Verse 8. He says, I will bring you to a new land. This is God saying, I'm going to give you an inheritance. First Peter says it like this, that, that we have an inheritance that's imperishable, waiting for us, unfading, and it's kept in heaven. Right now, God is in heaven, and he has an inheritance for us, and he's holding on to it. God has the greatest gift of man for mankind that we could ever think or imagine. One author says, if Israel gets out of Egypt... Listen, just tune in with me for a few more moments here. If Israel gets out of Egypt, he says, and they don't know God. If they get out of Egypt, but they don't know God, they don't know the I, the I well, the I am, the Yahweh. If they get out of Egypt and they don't know God, they're still slaves. They're still slaves. Just without chains, they're still slaves. Let me, let me say it in context here. If we get out of the coronavirus pandemic and we don't know God, we're just slaves. There's no healing. There's no freedom. This is an opportunity for us to say, God, we're waiting on you. We're trusting you. And we want to get out of this thing, sure. But God, don't take me out of the fire. Don't take me out of the pandemic and not walk out of this and say, I know you. If you follow the whole book of Job, Job is just, man, he just goes through it. He loses his family. He loses his livestock. His own wife tells him to curse God. His friends say he's dealing with things because he's in sin. It's just a horrible, horrible physical ailment. He, his boils on his skin, and Job is struggling, man. He's calling out to God, and he just doesn't understand the circumstance. He doesn't know why he's going through what he's going through until he gets to the end of the book. And at the very end of the book, God 
says, Job, stand up. I'm going I'm to talk to you like a man. He actually says to Job, gird up your loins, Job, which is kind of a way of saying, put on a jock strap. I'm about to give you a, I have something to share with you, Job. And after God speaks to Job, Job has this line at the end of the book. He says, before all of this, I had heard of you with the ear. But now I see you as face to face. I see you with my eyes. It's Job's way of saying that this trial and this tribulation, it, it, it has brought me into a greater intimacy of who you are as God. And I don't think Job would have traded it for anything in the world. I know for me, all of the difficulty for me as a young kid growing up, I wouldn't trade any of it, none of it at all, none of it, because it has brought me to a place of knowing God. It has brought me to a place where I know that he's good in the midst of suffering and hardship. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And hopefully we're in the same boat. Just as the disciples are in the boat in the storm, it's there and it's hard and it's difficult and they cry out. They don't understand what's happening. And then Jesus comes out and says, hey, wind, hey, waves, stop. And then they're in awe at the power of Jesus. Even the wind in the ocean has to obey him. And then at the end of this book, Moses, at the end of this chapter, I'm sorry, Moses is then told or we're told of the genealogy of Moses. That is to say, hey, this is, this is Moses is actually Hebrew. Moses has a history and, and he has a future. And they, he mentions all of these names to let us know that Moses is being brought into the great story of God. See, we need to wait on the Lord so we can know the Lord. There's your tweetable moment. We have to wait on the Lord so we can know the Lord. For Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, those who wait on the Lord in the midst of a pandemic, they shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Our lungs will be filled. Our spiritual lives will be filled. Our salvation is in the Lord. And Revelations chapter 21 tells us that this new heaven that we will receive no tears, no pain, no death. That's ultimately what we're waiting for. I want you to just take a few moments as we close to consider for a moment how much God loves you. I want you to just think for a few moments and just try to meditate, even though I know it might be hard. Your kids are probably wrestling around and rustling around, but... Just take a few moments to, to maybe just as a family, whoever you're in the house with, to just, while we worship, maybe get into a circle with your family and hug them and embrace them and just, just say, God, I want to know you. I don't want to know about you. I want to know you. God will hear your prayer. God, I don't want to be a slave to my own sin. I don't want to be a slave to the evil age of this world. God, I want to know you. I want to know your freedom. I want to know the peace that you give us. And just take that time, whatever it is that you want to call out to God, whatever you're frustrated with. I mean, Moses, Moses is praying to God. He's, he's blaming God, even though it's not God's fault. But God can handle it. He can handle your disappointment. He can handle your discouragement. But what he doesn't want... He doesn't want you to not know him. He wants you to know him. Let's come to know him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that even though we're not here together, 
we're unified in spirit. We're unified by you. I pray for those who are listening from afar, those who have never been in this building, they would indeed find your peace. And that when we do gather together, they would come. They wouldn't allow the screen to keep them from knowing this beautiful family that is all part of Sierra Bible Church and beyond. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, family. We're going to close in a couple songs this morning. And I've had some friends kind of reach out and say, you know, I wish you guys would do a little bit more music.